The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hi, this is Ashley Eckstein, the voice of Ahsoka Tano from Star Wars, and you're listening to the Secrets of Star Wars podcast. May the Force be with you. You're listening to the Secrets of Star Wars, episode 146. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a deity. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember... The Force will be with you, always. Hey everyone, I'm Angela Ciolana, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away. From movies to books to TV shows and more, we're looking at the deeper themes and meanings found in Star Wars and the other fun stuff, too. So today we are diving into The Bad Batch Season 2, Episode 5, entitled Entombed. Joining me today in the Cave of Wonders are uh, Mike Dens. Hi, Mike. Hi, Angela. And we also have Josh Beagley with us. Hello there. Hello, hello. And this episode of The Bad Batch is summed up on StarWars.com as simply, The Batch searches for an ancient treasure that stirs up a shocking surprise. <laughs> so with a shocking surprise there... Um, I'd like to hear y'all's first impressions of this fun episode. Um, Josh, let's start with you. What did you think of this episode? I loved it. I thought it was a lot like a video game walkthrough of sort of seeing all of the different like cut sequences in between of like, we have this puzzle to do now. And here's how we how how sort of like like your hints towards how to do it. And it reminded me a lot of the Fallen Order video game, which was really nice to see. Yeah, what's what's the recent? Oh, I should know this too. My daughter would kill me. Um, they made it into a movie with um, Tom Holland, uh, and it's a video game uh, with him and like his older mentor, and they go off. Do you guys see that? Okay, mm-hmm. listeners, you know what I'm talking about, and it reminds me of that too, where they have a lot of like cutscenes and stuff, and they do that all the time, obviously, in like um, uh, with Link and. Uh, What's the name of that? You guys play games at all? What's the name of the <laughs> the, the one with Link? Link? Um, Zelda. Legend of Zelda. Zelda? Legend, Legend of Zelda. Zelda. Yeah. Legend of Zelda. <laughs> they have all the... But I'm naming some... This is my daughter. I don't really play these games. I watch them. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, my first impression was I like the, the lighter, you know, stuff. Uh, just the fun Star Wars, you know, we're going to uh, do something. It was very unexpected. Um they go to the the planet that looks like that has been destroyed and they accidentally discover what destroyed it. Um, and they got to stop it before it destroys their ship. You know, it was just a, a, a neat star Wars show. I, I, I like the ones a lot with crosshairs in it because he's just a really interesting uh, character uh, in the mold of, you know, the good guy became bad and what are we going to do? You know, star mm-hmm. Wars, uh, star Wars trope favorite. Um, but uh, yeah, it was fun. And, uh, I, I caught uh, some homages to Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't know when you're going to you. You tell me when you want me to get into them. But oh, uh, yeah. that, that was kind of fun, too. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it was fun. It it was there was a lot of to me. I, I noticed maybe a couple of different fantasy sci fi genre possible homages. Um, maybe it was just me looking way into it like I always do. <laughs> but um but it was so much fun, definitely. And we will be getting into all of those kind of as we get into the story. Um, but I mean, first of all, let's let's look at how we start this episode off with um, Wrecker and Omega kind of doing a, like a really boring treasure hunt in a junkyard. I mean, I think all of us, you know, we do treasure hunts when we're trying to look for our stuff um, <laughs> around our house that we lose. But also just, you know, in a junkyard, if you're trying to find something like they were. So um, Omega finds a couple of things, comes back. And we see at Sid's place that there's this new character that we were introduced to, I believe, last uh, episode. Fee? 
Um, and she's played by Wanda Sykes. Uh, and she's telling this story about her fantastical adventures. And Hunter, Echo, and Tech are kind of dismissive of her. And I think it was pretty intentional that, you know, Omega and Wrecker were kind of off to the side doing their own thing at this moment because I feel like they're the more childlike at heart sort of duo, right? And then Mm -hmm. the other three are more of, oh, let's take care of business, you know? And so they're hearing this adventure story. No nonsense kind of guys. Yeah. Yeah. And they're hearing the adventure story and they're like, oh, whatever. She just, you know, she's exaggerating, you know, (laughs) this is pointless. Because they, so, they see, they, they know this stuff. They've seen it too. And then, you know, and someone, and, and they know when someone's, you know, adding to the size of the fish, you know, that they caught <laughs> kind of stories that she's doing. So, you know, they're not buying it. And, and Omega's just eating it up. Oh, yeah. She loves it. Right. And that was so cool. I mean, we're, we're seeing a lot of, a lot more character moments, I think, um, in this season in terms of how they're growing and developing as people, individuals. Um, and they're also, we're kind of seeing how they could possibly be moving forward as a kind of a little family unit. So I was wondering, um, what you guys just thought in general of having the Bad Batch kind of cross paths with Fee. And do you think that Fee will play some part in their character development going forward? Or do you think this was just kind of a, a fun one-off sort of thing? Hmm. I, I would I would I mean one of the things is Fee is, is Wanda Sykes I mean she you, you can't you can't mistake if you've ever heard her at all you can't mistake that that's who that was you know um they, they had obviously her character was a lot younger than she is but she was playing herself through it and she has that kind of thing where she never calls anybody by their names you know big guy blue eyes I don't know what she whatever you know she has a nickname for everybody that's kind of a passive aggressive way of relating to everybody and she's very confident you know if I'm right and I'm always right um (laughs) so she would definitely be an interesting antagonist you know uh kind of a princess Leia to your Han Solo uh character who Mm -hmm. would constantly be kind of butting heads with our our three no-nonsense guys and getting uh Wrecker and Omega in trouble uh as they kind of follow her along Yeah. yeah I could definitely see her as like a troublemaker for the group because she is a pirate and sort of just doing what pirates do is just doing what they can to get money at the end of the day. And I'd be curious to see then if she does become like an antagonist of selling like the Bad Batch out to the Empire or something Mm. like that. Another thing that I was sort of hoping to see at some point during the episode was if she is a pirate to see Hondo come back. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, because we've always, whenever we talk about pirates within this animated universe, it's always Hondo and Aka. And <laughs> to me, it was kind of, I don't know, refreshing to see a different pirate and a different sort of pirate. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was more so like a typical like pirate searching for treasure rather than black market smuggling and drinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um, I... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really interested to hear that you guys are saying possibly maybe she could end up becoming a villain or an antagonist. Um, because I had a very, I had a more like Leia to your Han kind of feeling from her, but we'll get more into that as we get into the story here. <laughs> um, so, so tech kind of uh, sees what Omega has brought back from the junkyard and he's like, eh, you should have left it there. But Fee, you know, determines that one of them is a compass and she consults her droid Mel, which was basically just a hunk of junk to me, <laughs> just a walking hunk of junk. Um, and concludes that there are coordinates on it to the Kaldar trinary system, which is not in text records, but, uh, Fee is convinced that the compass will lead them to treasure. She she compliments Omega's good eye. And you know, guys, throughout the episode, I couldn't help but notice that if Fee does stick around longer, um, I wonder if she could play like a kind of a motherly role for Omega because she's even throughout this episode, she's she's encouraging her. She's 
nurturing, you know, Omega's natural gifts. Um, and so I don't know, I just, it, it made me realize that Omega really hasn't had a motherly figure in, in all this, you know, um, since she left Camino, she hasn't. Um, so I don't know if, if you kind of see eye to eye with me or you think maybe not so much. I could see her being a motherly figure in that sense, but I've also seen that in Sid of her trying to teach her those valuable skills. And I think it's more so she's picking up things from everybody who comes into her life, which is what's important, is that everyone's sort of teaching her these new skills and rounding her out more as the story progresses. I mean, Fee, if she has a more nurturing motherly way about her, I mean, you kind of see it as she knows how to compliment somebody to flatter them uh, so that she can draw them in. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, why not? And that could that could end up, um, you know, biting Omega back if she uh, takes it to be a, a motherly kind of, here's another woman who's relating to me. Um, and then she you know, takes off, you know, abandons them, goes after the treasure, basically cuts bait, you know, um, whatever you want, however you want to call it. You could see a lot of different uh, storylines going here. Wow, that is so true. And, you know, um, Josh, like what you were saying, Omega is very impressionable. Um, mm -hmm. She is, I mean, she's, we talked last week about how she's older than the other guys, but yet she's still very... Um, naive uh, <laughs> because she doesn't have a lot of life experience, you know, outside of the Camino lab from what we know. And so, um, you know, even like the next scene, when we go into the next scene on the ship, Omega and Fee are actually in the exact same physical position. And it's like Omega is copying Fee because they both have their, their legs up and their feet up on a table or whatever. And, and they're, arms are crossed behind their necks and they're talking to each other. You know, Fee is telling her stories and Omega is just like eating it all up. And, you know, I was just looking at that and I was thinking, wow, like that's where I got the mother figure thing from, you know, initially. But, um, you know, it seems like Omega has found someone that she, she wants to be like, she, she enjoys being around. And she wants to be like, so I find that really interesting. You could also go for big sister uh, because the, these are all the other guys are all brothers and she's doesn't, you know, she's got four brothers. And she doesn't have a sister. Now she might have a big sister. So that could be another way to go, too. Yeah, that's very true. Um, now, a cool thing that just they sort of said in passing, but I kind of found that might have a deeper meaning. Um, I don't know who comes up with the names of planets and items in star wars exactly but i i want to say that now um whoever is on that group or that team must have a muslim background because last week i brought in something that related to the muslim faith and again this week i found a connection with the muslim faith and that was that fee is telling this story about when she found the blade of Zakata Par. And in the Muslim faith, there's actually um, a practice like tithing in Christianity that's called Sakata or Zakat or Sadaka or Sakat. And it's spelled like exactly like Zakata Par was in the subtitles, but just you just add an A to it. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Um, and Par just means the best, right? So just wanted to throw that out there. As a possibility. Um, now, we do we do hear at this moment on the ship that Fee is a pirate. You know, she sort of had that swagger and she was telling those stories, but, but it wasn't until this moment where it's kind of solidified and established that she is a pirate. Or as she likes to say, a liberator of ancient wonders. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think that is important to say, though, because when you think of a pirate before that, you thought of Hondo, too. So she isn't really the same sort of pirate and she doesn't like leave them behind during the story. She's with them the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And actually it made me kind of think about how 
yeah, there are different kinds of pirates. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, we there's always this this stereotype of the kind of behaviors and and traits that pirates had. Um, but there are still pirates today. I mean, there's still people that are pirating things, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so it's sort of interesting that we're kind of seeing different kinds of pirates. And I don't know if you guys could think of any other like characters in Star Wars that could qualify as pirates in these cases, um, you know, with, I mean, besides Hondo and Fee, can you think of anyone else? Would Han Solo qualify? Well, I mean, I, I know Han is, yeah, I mean, I know he's looked more of a smuggler, but, you know, I mean, Lando calls him you old pirate, you know, and, but that's, it's not really what he ever did as far as like taking, you know, going and, and treasure hunting or taking something over. He was a smuggler. So I don't think so. Um, Dex from episode two was something similar of a pirate. Cause he had a lot of, he, he sort of had like that ominous background. Like he's seen a lot of things. Hmm. Yeah. That may be a possible person. <laughs> It's it's a pirate's like a very specific kind of, you know, description when you think about like it's it's not just an explorer and it's not just like you were saying, Mike, it's not just a smuggler. Like it's a kind of a combination of a couple of things. Yeah. And I mean, it seems to I mean, to me, the classic is is somebody who robs travelers, you know, like, you know, like a pirate ship or, you know, pirates even today, um, a, you know, um, accosting, uh, you know, different ships, you know, smaller, smaller or larger ones to, to steal what they have. So that seems to be, you know, the theme. And then of course we got space and pirates who would seemingly, you know, attack a convoy or attack a ship to loot it. So, you know, looting travelers seems to be the, I haven't looked up the, uh, um, Webster's dictionary of a pirate, but that's, that's what I think it has something to do with. Yeah. Um, and it kind of makes you wonder what Fee's background actually is. Is she just a treasure hunter or has she done some of those not so moral things, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So we we come to this planet and it appears to be uninhabited, but the compass activates and it works kind of like a metal detector. That's what it reminded me of. It's sort of giving off this, these sounds depending on the proximity to the target and um, they find this entrance into the the mountain and they get inside of course with a little bit of drama and they come to this room with ancient symbols and these beams that allow you to sort of turn parts of the room around Um, so this is when we get the Indiana Jones vibes right this is when we start to get those yeah definitely I I noticed the I'm a big John Williams fan. Uh and you know, he's known for so much in the late seventies. I mean, he's you know, that's where he really got his fame, obviously with Star Wars and uh Jaws, and then eventually with Raiders in nineteen eighty. And I heard uh what is kind of like the arc theme, uh imitated that I thought. So yeah. I I looked it up and found uh a the the score uh, the whole soundtrack, and one of the scores is called Miracle of the Art, which I, I'm not entirely sure where all this takes place, but I think this is kind of towards the end of the movie when you eventually mm-hmm. get the Ark kind of taking out all the Nazis. Um, and this is a theme that is very recognizable uh, if you are familiar with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay, so you you get that kind of basic. I'm not going to try to hum it because I'm horrible. Uh, like I said, I, I'm tone deaf. Uh, I'm not really tone deaf, but I, my wife says that. So you can kind of hear the, the but the, the, the way it was going, kind of that mysterious what's going on. And you get those notes that are going along. And this is when um, Fee started turning the uh, those notches in that room they were in. And this is the music that was playing.
so there was only two like major notes but but so to, to not totally pirate john williams they stopped there but it was the same kind of instruments the same uh pitch you know the same almost the same notes that were going through and it just brought me back and i'm like they're you know they're treasure hunting this is ominous and they got this music playing and uh so i went to raiders and so judge for yourself i don't know what you guys think if that music uh was similar enough oh i totally agree i mean the music cues were definitely giving me john williams indiana jones vibes absolutely i i just couldn't i couldn't place which you know movie or moment in the movies that it would have been so i'm so glad that you brought that in definitely <laughs> yeah well you have so, four you have four you know indiana jones movies to choose from but right. I, I could tell it was the original i don't know if i would have uh gotten too much into the other like three especially crystal skull which is not exactly my favorite but um <laughs> that definitely had get brought me right back to 1980 with with the, what i was hearing so um and i just happened to find i mean i i you know it wasn't like i was researching it all day i uh, I it was the second uh, score I listened to that I that got to it. So cool, yeah. Um, and by the way, if anyone is a fan of the Indiana Jones uh, saga, SQPN does have uh, secrets of episodes about each of those movies, even the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you can check those out. Um, so Josh, you were talking about how this reminded you of a video game. Um, so any, any other things you want to mention on that? Um, so a lot of this whole discovery of like going through and solving all these different puzzles and stuff reminded me of Fallen Order and sort of as we get towards the end of the episode, we talk more about another aspect of it, but in terms of reaching the actual stone or crystal, whatever you want to call it itself, Mm -hmm. the heart of the mountain, um, they had to go through all of those different tasks and they reminded me a lot of, again, like playing through fall on order and completing the task to like, they had a lot of different puzzles on, um, the planet Zepho, um, just to sort of keep you engaged in the game. So doing some things like, like exactly this, where it's like, you have to move different, um, pieces around and sort of looking at like the deeper meanings of things like shining the light through the compass to get those sort of um, hidden messages. Like each of those things that they had to do just again, kept reminding me of the video games of, of just a normal walkthrough of like a single player video game where you have to complete those tasks to sort of keep the story progressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for those who may not know, I think the full title of the game you're talking about is Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Is that right? Yes, that is. Yeah. And there's a sequel coming out. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's definitely Star Wars. Um, uh, I would say just Lucasfilm is, is very familiar with this whole concept of kind of the adventure story, right? Of doing all these different puzzles, solving the puzzles and the, all that, um, which to me is one of the, the, the things that makes adventure movies um, really fun. So um, so one of the things that um, happens when they are kind of putting these symbols together and trying to figure this out is that Fee announces that she thinks they found the entrance to the famous Scara Null, with which every pirate is familiar, apparently, <laughs> um, in a galaxy far, far away. And um, now, okay, so of course I have to go try and see what are the possible meanings behind all these names, as y'all know. Uh, (laughs) So according to my sources, in Swedish, the word skara can mean cloud. It can also mean to cut with a knife. The word null means needle. Um, So after watching the episode and kind of seeing that they're in this sort of mountain thing that rises up to the sky and starts destroying things like cloud and cutting with a knife, like needle. It all seems very, you know, fitting. So I don't know if that was truly what was again behind it, but just want to point that out. So uh, she says that this legend goes back 
to the ancients older than the Jedi. And the writers seem to make it a point that the clones associated the word ancients with the term Jedi. But Fee corrected them that there was a time before the Jedi. So I don't know if y'all thought that was interesting or if you... Did you notice that? I did, and that's sort of, again, why I drew it back to Fallen Order, was because of the people of Zepho were before the um, the Jedi Order. They were these ancient beings who were great engineers and sort of made a whole bunch of different things. Um, and then going into it, they've did a lot of different structures and things like that, which resembled what they looked like. And sort of like the whole robot itself, whenever we get to that, it was exactly like how they looked. So I definitely saw that as like the main comparison between like Fallen Order, the Zepho people, and um, this episode. Mm-hmm. Now, is this is this further back than the Wills? Is this or is this just another? Uh, or well, something that's what else I'm wondering. Altogether? I mean, the Wills would kind of like be the very, very beginning, right? Uh, yeah, in my in my uh, not so uh, <laughs> accurate understanding of the deep uh, history of the galaxy far, far away. Um, I just know that, you know, the, the legend of the wills and the wills uh, were what preceded, uh, as I understand, Jedi and Sith. Um, so, but I don't know, you know, the, the, then again, she could have just been like, you know, shooting from the hip. <laughs> oh, everybody knows this. Come on. Oh, this is before Jedi. Could have really impressed them. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems like as the Star Wars, um, saga is expanding now with you know more shows and books and all that good stuff that we are gonna end up getting more of that information about what is the history before the jedi you know possibly um so i i wonder if they're kind of planting that seed in many different ways and this particular moment in this episode might be one of those seeds to sort of say yeah there was something before the jedi so just to get people interested, you know, it's interesting for, for my generation where, where I like saw the original Star Wars in the theaters and was so hungry for what, 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 what happened before this? You know, what was going mm. on, you know, and now it's we're just flooded, you know, whether it's <laughs> uh, legends or whether it's canon or whatever. There's just so much, you know, information and so many little things that we are getting, you know, in particular, uh, you know. And, and it just how far back can they go, you know, um, as far as, you know, all this history and all these different authors contributing and stuff. And it's like, whoa, OK, now it's almost like turn down the faucet. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking from the fire hose. Yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens um, if we get more of that, even in animated. That would be really cool. Um, but so going on with the story. So they they kind of. um Use they figure out to use the compass to kind of crack the code with the symbols. They align everything, and then this door appears uh, to the next chamber. And they leave little Mel, the droid, behind. Um, He's kind of like Chopper. Yeah. He has that kind of <laughs> Chopper feel to me. I, I almost thought it was him for when I first saw him. You know, I'm like, oh, no, okay, it's not. But maybe with a little less attitude than Chopper. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, everybody has a little less attitude. <laughs> um, so, so then we're, we're walking along and Fee starts explaining about the heart of the mountain, which is known to be this crystalline stone and a key to an ancient power. Um, and suddenly they are attacked by this really cool looking creature. Um, did this creature kind of remind you guys of anything in particular or um, was I the only one that sort of got kind of like um, I was a sort of Zillow beast. I don't know if you remember Is the Zillow beast the from episode Wars? two. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the, the uh, that was attacking um, uh, Padme. Is that who you're well, thinking of? no, um, I'm thinking more so in the Clone Wars animated series, actually. I don't oh, know if y'all okay. have seen I'm that. Sorry. I was, I was thinking yeah. of those, the one of the beasts that was in the arena at the end of mm. uh, Attack of the Clones. Yeah, Clone Wars. I can That's see that, too. I, I was thinking of. And also a little bit, I, oh, I'd have to look back. I'm trying to remember 
what uh, Obi-Wan was writing around in um, the uh, Revenge of the Sith, too. But anyway, those those beasts are all blending together in my mind. Right now. <laughs> I definitely agree with the Zillow beast. At first, I actually thought it was one, but I'm like, that thing was standing on top of, like, a really large building. So it it's not the same size. But I definitely, like, it still was, like, not able to get shot by the um the the blasters right. and the, the bow which made me also think that like it's some sort of comparable creature right yeah because uh from what i recall i didn't go back and watch those episodes of uh clone wars um yeah but the zillow beast did have this uh protective exterior um that was not was so became so valuable for the Republic um, to want to to have because of um, it, you know, it it couldn't. Um, it was like a really great armor that they couldn't even, you know, create in the lab or anything. So in those episodes, it can't be cut by can't be cut by lightsabers, right? Yeah. So um, unlike stormtrooper armor, which really doesn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> It's just like a styrofoam shell of some sort. <laughs> I don't know. It's like for good looks. It makes it easier to see in the forest is basically what it does. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going on. on. Um, it is also good that this beast landed on Wrecker because it, it probably oh would have uh, handled anybody else. But Wrecker, uh, <laughs> it was kind of its equal. It was like a standoff with uh, uh, with him holding its jaws. That was pretty intense. Yeah, did he end up like pulling a tooth out of it? Is that it what looked like he ripped it apart for a second? It was kind of hard to see, but it came back later, so I guess it survived. But there was a point there where I'm like, "Whoa, what did he do to it?" Um, he, he like he punched it or something. I don't know, but uh, yeah, it took off. <laughs> yeah, to me, it looked like he ripped something out of his mouth, but I don't know. Anyway, um, I just I thought that was that was pretty fun as well. Of course, you know, going into the ancient cave and. There's these weird monster creature things. Um, so they do end up scaring it off. Um, and the team is split into two groups. So we have Echo, Wrecker, and Tech. Um, and then, of course, we have V, Omega, and Hunter. And uh, Echo, Wrecker, and Tech have to find a new way to, to meet up with the rest of the group. Um, and the other group's just going to go treasure hunting and, and continue on, which doesn't seem to please hunter very much <laughs> um so do you guys have any suspicions as to why the writers divided up them into these particular groups of people um because i personally am wondering if they put hunter with fee intentionally because i think they're good foils for each other oh for sure I mean, he's, uh, she's being reckless and, you know, she kind of has, if we're going to go with the Raiders of the Lost Ark of the Indiana Jones theme, you remember in, um, the, uh, when they were chasing the Holy Grail, uh, the one, uh, collaborator with the Nazi woman was really just kind of got real crazed. Uh, I, I want the, uh, the Holy Grail and she almost, you know, killed herself reaching for it the one time and. Or did she? Did she actually die? I don't. Yeah, I think she did. I think but anyway, she did. yeah, she fell, and then 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 uh, Indy almost did too. But his dad saved him. But anyway, um, when she was chasing around the heart of the mountain uh, afterwards, I, I had that imagery of she's is she gonna is this gonna take her to her death? Is she mm -hmm. gonna chase this things out the window? You know, and when she almost <laughs> fell before Hunter rescued her or whoever it was, wasn't it Hunter? Yeah, it was Hunter. Um, yeah. Before Hunter rescued her, it was kind of like, oh, man, this is going to be her own doing. Um, so there was her recklessness and him kind of like, I'm responsible for the safety of this group. Um, and they, that butting of heads was, you know, the, I think, why they put them together. Even how you sort of mentioned with the, the parenting figures, sort of seeing both of them together then as like the both parent figures with Omega then. And that, that's definitely interesting to think about then. As sort of like seeing each of them take two different approaches and one's very cautious and careful. The other one's like, oh, let's just keep walking straight and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's the two like personality types, you know, it's it's the introverted thinking and planning, you know, kind of person and very particular and precise. 
And then there's the, oh, let's just, you know, do whatever. And, and very, you know, very, uh, 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 just extroverted and, and kind of, you know, talking about whatever and, oh, everything will be all right in the end, you know, so. <laughs> just let the kid walk. And if he falls, you know, in the, it'll get back up. It'll be fine. Walk it off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Just, yeah. Put some tape on it. <laughs> As my old football coach used to say, just put some tape on it. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, Hunter is very annoyed by Fee, um, especially after he almost dies falling through that <laughs> one of those passageways. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, to me, the, the reason that they are, they end up together, written together in this situation is because they are such opposites and, and they, at least she gets on his nerves. She's not really phased by him, <laughs> but she just says, Ooh, someone's in a mood. And that's kind of it. That's the extent. <laughs> well, that, that isn't that, that type of person, that type of person that annoys a lot of people, but doesn't get annoyed by anybody. You know, it's just that, that she's that person. Yeah. For some, some people that's a, a highly enviable quality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so the compass becomes part of the passage walls as they're using it, sort of turn this tunnel around and fee um, becomes their only guide, which of course Hunter loves. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the two groups actually meet up, which I thought was a little bit convenient, but okay, we'll, we'll believe it. Um, so they, they found a way um, to, to find everybody all together again. Well, they did. And they took a long time with the, you know, um, Hunter almost falling through the hole and, having to turn everything around. So it gave the other group some time to kind of take the long way around. Um, So you could, you know, and, and when we figure out that this actually is um, a lot more man-made than it first necessarily appeared, it did kind of seem like a temple, but it also could be a lot of tunnels. But then when the whole thing stands up to be a robot, you can, you can easily gather that there were a lot of different corridors that you could just go around, you know, if you had something blocked. So. Right. I'll, I'll give them the catch up. Oh Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. It is, it's a robot, essentially, that they're inside of. Um, but they do, they, at this point, they find the chamber with the um, the heart of the mountain. It looks very cool. I liked sort of the the effects that they put on it, um, the colors and everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, you know, Mike, you were talking a little bit about what you were thinking as Fee was sort of reaching to retrieve this stone um, yeah, it's it's an often parodied moment in the beginning. The beginning of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is iconic, and it's been and it's been parodied several times in different ways. And uh, you know, with the iconic you know whip and jacket and hat to uh, you know shooting the guy who's got the juggling the 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 swords to this beginning scene where they're going through and they and and you know there's the spiders on the back and there's the, the poisonous darts and. And um, he has to go up to this fertility idol and he has a bag of sand that he's going to put in his place so it doesn't trigger uh, any sort of booby traps. And she, of course, doesn't have anything like that. But as she's kind of like dusting it off, like this thing has dust on it. It's this beautiful crystal thing, but it has dust on it. <laughs> so it kind of goes right back to the the whole like cave, you know, and, and treasure. And she just pulls it out. And the whole time is she's kind of like figuring out how to twist it and how to get it. Just like um, Alfred uh, Molina, uh, the character who was like with um, Indy in the beginning of the movie, he played a guy named uh, Satipo, I think Satipo. Mm -hmm. And he's behind him and he's like, he he has his hands up to his face and he's, and he's kind of like, like needling his fingers and just kind of, you know, like, like he's, like he's imitating, like, oh, be careful, be careful. And they go to Omega and she's behind Fee going, oh, oh, you know, it's like the shots are very identical. And then when (laughs) she pulls it up, she sets up a bunch of booby traps. Just, you know, the the door is shut and everything starts just like it happened in uh, that scene in Indiana Jones. And then they cut to another kind of homage of uh, when the arc was opened and the beam of light shot up into the heavens. You go outside and the the preceding the awakening of this robot was this beam that shot directly into the heavens with like the thunderclap that was very reminiscent of uh, that scene in Raiders. So all of that was like, whoa, that's what convinced me that I wasn't hearing things 
with the music earlier. I'm like, okay, this is kind of like Raiders with the, the treasure hunting, but let's not go too far. But when they did that, I'm like, okay, they definitely, it was intentional. Yeah. I mean, Josh, when you were watching Fee retrieve this stone, where you think, were you like, where's your other thing to put in its place? Like, cause that's what <laughs> yeah. I was thinking. <laughs> It's like you always have to switch it out and something's got to happen when you take it out. So I was like, well, if she's as experienced as she says she is, then why is she just kind of, you know, twisting it around and she's just going to grab it and look around like, oh, what's going to happen now? You know, So, so yeah. Um, so we do realize, yes, after that amazing moment, um, that they're all inside of this enormous walking super weapon. Um, why would someone create this thing is, was sort of the question in my <laughs> mind. Like it just wakes up and it just starts shooting this energy beam out just to like whatever it sees. So <laughs> I'm wondering like, <laughs> why would you do that? Do you have any clues as to why someone would create this thing? It's interesting. I don't really know if you remember the, the first season of Next Generation Star Trek they came across a planet that nothing was left, but the weapons that destroyed everybody. And the first thing they walked into was um, this hologram that was trying to sell you these weapons. And they had to basically <laughs> defeat the, 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 the test, uh, the testing or the, like the demonstration of these weapons is what they had to de- defeat to discover exactly what was going on. And it reminded me of that, like nothing's left, but the weapons that killed everybody that used to be there. And they accidentally tripped it. And then it just start, like it started its program again, which is I just walk around and shoot stuff. And they had to, you know, they had to figure out how to stop it. There was an interesting too the, the this heart of the mountain, which clearly wasn't the heart of the mountain because it's not even a mountain, um, had like a USB port kind of thing that she yeah. pulled it out of, which which also indicated we're not, you know, this is no cave. Uh, <laughs> this, is a, this is a creature. Yeah, this is a uh, machine. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it, again, just back to Fallen Order, is even whenever like they first took it out of the um, the robot, all of the lights turning on was very, very comparable to the Zepho people and how they engineered and did their things. Um, they had their own demise story explained in Fallen Order um, of one of them being on Dathomir and sort of wanting to like bring about the end of everything kind of thing. So I feel like he may have been the one to develop it to sort of start testing it. But also I thought it was interesting that it seems to be going straight for any sort of like robotic or like electrical thing. Mm. Cause they seem to walk on a straight path towards um, Fee's robot mm-hmm. and just obliterated it. <laughs> <laughs> And then was going straight towards their ship. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's got a whole planet, and it goes towards their ship. I mean, that's you know, a little <laughs> bit uh, convenient. Well, of course, come on. So, yeah, so, I mean, there had to be, like you think, you know, he's got, he's got to be right. It's not like a coincidence. Uh, mm. it's, it's looking for technology to destroy. Mm. Well, it is interesting that the only thing that's really left seems to be this creature that was impervious to their weaponry. Um, right. That was that was attacking them, which does attack them at this very moment, in fact, um, as they're as the chaos is ensuing. Um, and the only creature in the planet to survive lives in the robot. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's so on the best was, place to hide. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, I know what this thing's going to do. So um, and you know what? With the um, the super weapon, it did give me kind of like Godzilla vibes with the design and the sounds that it was making. Um, or War of the Worlds is what I was going for. Okay, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, like the it didn't exactly have a tripod, but it's, it still had that that head that kind of reminded me of the War of the mm-hmm. Worlds, or even um like Pacific Rim. If you've ever seen those, oh sure, yeah, yeah. I I also sort of thought of that as like correlation. Yeah, I think those are all kind of like inter related with each other like they've all been kind of like inspired by the same idea well planet, more of the worlds would have been first idea. yeah yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so um so yes it destroys poor little mel um <laughs> and <laughs> the batch convinces fee to replace the heart of the moon uh, so they won't be trapped on the planet um and 
in this chaos, of course, uh, the stone falls down into this crevice and V has to go save it. And um, it was Hunter, as we mentioned earlier, who ended up saving her. I think that was pretty important. I think that was very intentional, again, with the writing, because all this time he's been sort of deriding her and saying, you know, oh, well, whatever. Um, I can't believe that you're leading us around this thing. But um, he's also the responsible one, as we were talking about. Um, He's also the one who feels like he has to know what's going on with everyone. And I'm sure he was keeping track of the stone, which he realized was the most important thing, right, in this situation. Um, I love how she's like, you guys battle the deadly thing. I'll I'll (laughs) run away and go after the treasure. Oh, okay, that's fair. So, you know, so he follows her and really it pays um, pays her back for saving him earlier. She she grabbed his uh, grappling hook, which may not have, you know, hooked onto anything uh, when he fell through that hole earlier. Right. Yeah. So um, so we have this this interesting little duo of B and and Hunter. Um, And and after of course, Tech and Omega replace the heart of the mountain. It melts. <laughs> it literally like melts. And then the whole thing just crashes. And that's the end of that. <laughs> that was definitely the kill switch. Yeah. <laughs> or at least at least not where you were supposed to plug that in if you wanted the robot to work. Yeah. So um, so that was kind of interesting. And, and then they're returning back to their ship. And Hunter reflects, well, at least... You know, nobody can activate that thing ever again. And so Fee, she takes that as saying, so you're saying it was good we came after all. <laughs> and and she does one last homage to Raiders by talking about another treasure that's like the Holy Grail, this this cup or this chalice or whatever she calls it that uh, yeah. they want to go after. I'm like, oh, man, that's another one. Which, by the way, she says it once belonged to the kingdom of Elways. Yeah, I heard that. No, no. What is that? I, did you do some research? Well, <laughs> actually, I didn't research. But when I heard Elways, I thought of Carrie Elways, who played Dread Pirate oh. Roberts in The Princess Bride. You didn't um, think of John Elway from the Denver Broncos? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I bet you would have. Uh, no, yeah, well, well, I was thinking about it. I first thought of elves because <laughs> Elways elves. But, you know, you could go a lot of directions. Oh, true. Yeah. Um, but always, you know, when I heard always, it, of course it was spelled differently, but when I heard it, I was like, Oh, like Carrie always, um, <laughs> Dread so, Pirate Roberts. Yes. Yeah. Dread Pirate Roberts. There you go. Um, another fantasy story. Um, <laughs> and, uh, of course of a pirate. So, um, but Mel, she does also say that she's going to re she's, uh, fee's going to rebuild Mel, um, with the data that's stored on her ship. And she says she'll do it before they leave for Vadney. Um, so I was grasping at straws trying to figure out who, who or what Vadney was, um, <coughs> or what that, that inspiration was. <coughs> and, uh, I ended up finding out that there was a Hungarian screenwriter named Laszlo Vadney, spelled exactly the same, um, who wrote mostly romantic comedies in the mid 1930s, all the way up to the 1960s. Um, he wrote the movie Copacabana, which was probably one of the more popular ones that he wrote um kind of makes me wonder okay now hear me out here (laughs) so you've heard how we were talking about maybe fee is the leia to uh hunter's han or 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 you know the other way around um the parental situation with mom and dad you know figures so i was like okay so they're throwing in this who was essentially a romantic comedy writer. So I'm like, are we going to see a romance between Hunter and Fee in the future? Because they're constantly going back and forth with each other and they're total opposites. But also she's kind of a new, you know, character and we're seeing them, you know, as a batch sort of develop into their own people and, Hunter just seems to be the more dad sort of figure and maybe the kind to kind of settle down and have a, I don't know. I'm just, 
I'm just throwing out a- that a- idea. Have we ever seen a clone relationship? Like a clone? Yes. We yeah. In the clone in the Clone Wars, um, who was it? Gregor, I think. Well, okay. no, but so one of the commando troopers who got stranded on the one planet had yeah the family yeah okay. so there there was there was a clone that actually ended up right getting stranded and then he ended up getting married had some kids um, we uh, saw that in a Clone Wars where I believe they also um, came across a family like that in the first season of Bad Batch because yeah, I remember says, Omega was oh, like yeah, playing with yeah. the kids right right. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not unheard of. It's not. No. No. It'd still be interesting to see Bad Batch change from a basically full soldier war mindset to then a loving sense <laughs> and like more more family oriented. A, a, a kind full of house kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the nice thing right now. Is yeah. they, they haven't shown any sort of general direction that they're heading right now yeah like in yeah. terms of like the overall they're story just like, let's, for let's get money for and we have nothing else to do <laughs> let's go after treasure that's about all that's gonna happen it's been yeah it's been a lot of just like these different adventures and each character doing their own personal development rather than like overall the whole group trying to like get back together or something yeah uh, there's very little of crosshairs uh like uh, confronting them directly or the whole thing where they were trying to figure out about the inhibitor chip and what to do and all that's over. So now it's, yeah, they're kind of settling in. Yeah. So I'm not saying that that's what I want to happen, <laughs> but I just thought, what if, you know, what if we see that in the future? I don't think that's completely out of the realm of possibility, but um, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Um, was there, was there anything else? Do you think, I mean, do you think we'll go on another treasure hunt in the future with V? Do you think she's going to, st- you know, stick around? I mean, if you were to give this a percentage of possi- possibility or probability, what percentage would you say that we will see V continue to be sort of a part of the Bad Batch in one or more future episodes? Okay, so I think she's probably going to be in at least one more episode. I can't really put a number to it. But, again, this season's been a bit all over the place in that sense of their adventures. True. That she could either be here and they could do that next adventure of this rom-com sort of thing. <laughs> um, or she they could be on an entirely different thing. Like, it's been... It's been a little bit interesting to see that, like, They've been all over the place so far with different stories and different people they've interacted with this season so far. Yeah. I think, I mean, they got the, the four guys and Omega um, and they, they're introducing, I think it's really kind of neat that, that she has the kind of personality where she could be gone in an instant or she could just hang out along forever, kind of like that Han Solo character who's uh, we just unpredictable, really don't know, doesn't, uh, doesn't seem like the type of person to commit. Um, so that's probably part of the excitement about it. So, um, you know, you could, it's, it's almost 50, 50 right now, uh, cause mm-hmm. it's really intriguing kind of interesting, you know, dynamic that she introduces gives the writers a lot more to do, uh, you know, cause there's only so much you can do with <laughs> the four <laughs> characters who are pretty slotted in their, their personality types and what, what comes about with them and how they relate to Omega and each other. So you introduce her into this. Um, you know, uh, they, I forget the character that's been hiring. Um, uh, what's her name? Um, Sid, Sid, Sid. Thank you. She's, uh, that, you know, she's more of the stay at home, you know, the, uh, the Charlie to their angels kind of person. She doesn't mm-hmm. really go along on things. So, or the Bos- well, Bosley used to go on things, but anyway, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, I could see her just like them saying, no, we've got to keep her around. She's, she's useful. She's, she's good. She's going to be good for the group. Um, and not saying, no, I don't know what to do with her. Let's just write her out. And they definitely didn't write her out in this one. If she didn't show up in the next episode, would be like, what happened to Fee? That would be weird. That's true. Yeah, I think they've kind of established a relationship between Fee and the crew, um, and especially with Omega, uh, but definitely with the others as well, and um, Hunter more so, I would say. Uh, so it it would be 
it would be odd to not see her again. So I, I, I do suspect that they're going to bring her back in some fashion. And, and like you said, Mike, she is a wild card. So they could use her in any possible way. Um, of course, that would be consistent with, with the character that they've established for her. So I think that that's cool. Yeah. And with, with Sykes playing her, I mean, that's a, that's a big, you know, um, actor to get mm-hmm. for just a couple, you know, I mean, I mean, she's not huge, but it's, she's not, she's someone that's well known and, and, you know, that you could see would have had a, a longer contract to stick around maybe. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts about what we saw, what we experienced, what we may experience in the future with the Bad Batch? I like seeing a lot of the crossovers that they've done with things. So again, like with this episode, where is the Lost Ark? But even in within Star Wars, with again, I just love the video games. So <laughs> I'll, I'll say it again. But so much of that robot was definitely Zepho vibes in the sense that like. Even like the energy blast that shot out or like the blue ones that the guards had on that they also built. I would love to see more of like crossovers in that sense of bringing the whole universe to sort of collide with each other again versus having here's a story here, there, everywhere. And then tying them all in together is really nice to see. Yeah, it's... um. The Imperial that's hunting them uh, and that, that they just realize that they're not dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to, you know, I, I like to see how that plays out. Uh, I like to see, uh, I, I like Crosshairs as a villain. He's, he's an excellent villain. I like the, the cold, calculating, cruel, almost emotionless, or at least emotions under check kind of uh, character that he is. Um, and then especially with, the, obviously, um, with the... Uh, the history he has with the other guys is, is huge. So um, that's going to be interesting. And it's interesting to see, did they put to bed or is Omega still kind of thinking the guys need money. So they're, uh, you know, they don't have to keep running and and that she's kind of weighing, you know, uh, something that's causing them problems. And if they had a lot of money, they could live a lot more easy lifestyle. Yeah. Um, All great, um, great thoughts. Uh, I'm, I'm very curious to see if they do incorporate Crosshair back into the batch. Um, how that would even work if Fee also became a part of the Bad Batch. I just can't see the two of them getting along at all. Um, so who knows? Uh, maybe one of them will stick around, but one of them won't. Or maybe neither of them will, will end up ultimately being part of the group. I'm curious to hear what everyone else out there is thinking. Um, What did you catch? Uh, Any references or allusions to other movies or uh, TV shows or video games um, that we didn't catch? Uh, Let us know. You can send us feedback about any and all things Star Wars at uh, starwars at sqpn.com. That's our email, starwars at sqpn.com. Find us on uh, Facebook at StarQuest. Uh, facebook.com slash starquest media you can leave a comment there um you can simply tweet us at sqpn um please whatever you do share the show on social media um let other people know that we are talking about bad batch and cool things like you know uh swedish and muslim and video game and all kinds of references (laughs) carrie elwes Uh, Before we move on, we definitely want to uh, take a brief moment to recognize and thank the people who make this podcast possible. Our patrons, including Joseph B., Jason K., Teresa S., Edward H., and Ryan B. Thank you so much. You too can help StarQuest uh, to continue our mission by becoming a patron at sqpn.com slash give. This StarQuest show is brought to you by Tim Shevlin's personal fitness training for Catholics, providing spiritual and physical wellness through personalized nutrition, workout and prayer programs, and daily accountability check-ins. Learn more by visiting fitcatholics.com. All right, everyone, well, please do uh, subscribe and all those good things. Um, Leave us a good review and help us to get the Seekers of Star Wars out there to more people who will be interested in listening. Next week, we'll be back to discuss the sixth episode of The Bad Batch Season 2. And until then, Josh Beagley, 
thanks for joining us. Happy to always be here. And Mike Dentz, thank you for coming on as well. It was fun as always. And once again, I'm Angela Cialana. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. The Secrets of Star Trek. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Star Trek.